Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Tyson is available for Monday, the 1st of March, 2021 with me, Daniel Ruiz Tyson, episode 312. Hope you're all healthy and doing what you need to be doing to keep yourself going. 1424 here on a dry day in South London, a bit colder the last uh, day or so. I certainly felt colder in bed despite the long johns resisted the urge to turn on the electric blanket, which I, I should have. I still had the hot water bottle in there, but it was that cold that I really think I should have had the electric blanket on. And despite, I think, what was about 60 toggage on the bed last night, 60 togs worth of duvets and uh, blankets, I still couldn't get to sleep properly. We are already in March. I don't know about you, but now that I'm well into middle age the years really feel like they're flying by pandemic or no pandemic i have to say i'm not really enjoying being in the 2020s you know just that road is getting significantly shorter now and that is a a concern the big news here in the uk is that the brazilian variant has now taken root here it's official but people still want to be going on their summer holidays which i just think is madness why can we not just focus on getting through this, get into some semblance of normal life before people start wrecking the usual foreign tourist hotspots with their drinking. Yes, I get it. Holidays are they're, they're part of normal life. Obviously, I'm not normal. I know that. Holidays are not for me. But I get that most people want a holiday, and I understand that. But I just feel there should be many, many normal things we're able to do on a regular basis again before holidays should even be considered, at least in terms of going abroad. I wouldn't like to be in this uh, missing Brazilian variant carrier's shoes today. Test and trace are an absolute pain. I, I speak from experience. At least I knew I'd given them details of everything I'd done in the days leading up to my testing positive, including the purchase of my uh, cattle from Argos. I've been looking at that kettle in the last week or so and thinking perhaps I should feel a bit guilty about getting it and I don't think I do. I needed the kettle and given that I was isolating for uh, 10 days, what would I have done with the miniature kettle that I was stuck with for a few days when the old kettle had finally broken down? It's been a productive day for me. I've uh, had lunch about an hour and a half ago a uh, bowl of hot porridge with long-life milk made the porridge creamier. Had some Sainsbury's blueberries in there, proper blueberries, none of that German budget supermarket rubbish I uh, have 51 weeks of the year, and it was bliss. It was the pandemic-era equivalent for someone isolated and alone the last 12 months. It was the pandemic-era equivalent of getting laid and... uh, 
thankful to my sister for sending those blueberries my way. There's still quite a few of them left. They're bigger, they're tastier, and they made uh, today's porridge absolutely spectacular. So now using some long-life milk, I think that was the lesson I learned from isolation. The isolation got tricky because I hadn't really been buying stuff. Well, I haven't bought long-life milk for years. I'm not very good at opening cartons, and having now three cartons of long-life milk reminds me of my early days getting back together with milk because, of course, as a kid, I hated milk so much that I didn't have milk for about 10 years. And then suddenly in the spring of 91 or the late winter, I think it was sort of January, February time in 91, which I remember being one of my worst years, actually. Really, 91 and 92 were really dull years for me. Nothing years. I've had so many of them, but those two were particularly dull years. I think 95 was a bit dull as well, but the summer was good in 95 and the winter was really good, certainly in terms of studying. I was doing my uh, radio journalism and I, you know, made some good friends on that course and I really enjoyed going in. But at home, I started to uh, become preoccupied with a leaking roof and that really did, uh, I think that changed my personality, that level of stress. And my dad had moved out, albeit only downstairs. So that responsibility now of tackling the leaking roof and trying to tackle the uh, the old landlord that we had, who was a really awful guy. That fell on my uh, young shoulders, and uh, I did uh, struggle with that. And I think it ended up ruining my radio course. I think I messed up that course at the end because I just couldn't deal with the pressure of uh, that leaking roof. Back in the uh, family bedsit, lo and behold, 26 years on, I'm still dealing with a leaking roof, albeit in a different property. There's supposed to be someone now coming to see that tomorrow. I had to get really arsy again with the um, the housing association responsible uh, for this uh, for, for the building, and uh, they own half of this flat. And there's someone else coming tomorrow, and he said in his email, uh, the hose test that they did before Christmas found no issues in terms of uh, the leak being external. And that's fine. They've run that test. I'm not disputing that. What I'm saying is there's still a leak. And he said, but it appears the test uh, showed uh, another historic issue. No, there's only one issue, and it is a historic issue, but that is the issue that in all the years I've been here, that roof has been leaking. Where is that leak coming from so uh, tomorrow i'm probably gonna have to uh, well i still haven't been given a time so i'll chase them early in the morning and i'm gonna have to get the old dust sheets out and probably do a fair bit of cleaning and ventilating the flat before and after they get here and while they're here but it's just uh, really annoying having uh, to deal with all this stuff I just paused that. I was slightly distracted. I've just had an email from the uh, housing uh, people. They're coming uh, tomorrow at one or by one to check the leaks. So it's going to be a fairly stop-start day tomorrow because um, I will be cleaning a lot, but at least uh, this is getting done. But it just takes up so much time. It's been going on for years, and it's just uh, really uh, annoying, really annoying, and uh, just... To deal with a leaking roof, you know, to, to, to be having that in my life the last uh, 30 odd years, wherever I've gone, whichever property I've gone to. And you could say, well, that's that's weird that you keep having leaking roofs. Well, not really when you consider that except for one flat, I've always lived on top floors. And that's the risk with the top floor. And of course, 
you know, what you really want ideally is to have a good landlord and if it's a housing association or the council, you want them to be on their game as well because roofs will always have issues. And I've completely forgotten now what I was about to tell you. But anyway, uh, back to the milk. I just decided in early 91 that I really wanted to make an effort with milk, that it would be good for me. And I always liked the idea of drinking milk because I didn't drink milk at school. I remember I'd watch the milk drinkers obsessively and there would be guys, and this is going back to junior school, who would always race each other to see who could drink their little bottles of milk the quickest. I'm not going to mention any names. I can remember one guy, Irish kid, and his face would go so red as he was rushing his milk, and he was more often than not in the top two or three quickest milk drinkers. So I'd always wanted, it was one of those things that I wanted to like, a bit like yogurt. I could never eat yogurt with bits of fruit in them. That's why I could only have banana yogurts, which back in those days wouldn't come with um, with bits. And I think around the same time I started eating other yogurts. I'm trying to think when I switched to well, various margarines, and uh, I can't believe it's not butter light. That was in 2000. That's when my go-to uh, blue band margarine was discontinued. It has returned, apparently, in the last year or so in Iceland, but the prohibitive cost means I haven't revisited it. I don't really want to buy myself some blue band margarine and realize that's what I've been missing for the last 20 years. And, you know, I'm a writer. I can't be spending three pounds on a a tub of butter or faux butter or faux margarine. But by the summer of 91, I was working in that terrible job in the Docklands I've told you about before, that security job. And they would have these little kiosks dotted around. And every time that I was switching gate, the gates that I was uh, looking after, I would pop to the kiosk and you'd either have bottles of fresh orange juice that they sold. And I'm talking like milk bottles, proper pints or pint of milk, a pint of milk. And I would buy a pint of milk. And by then, by 91, that was it, the summer of 91, I was back on the milk in a really big way. And it's it's been in my life since. It's just weird that for 10 years I couldn't handle it. And I do wonder if it was because I had a bad experience with milk as an infant at school and I vaguely remember something but I can't really be certain it wasn't imagined I don't know so anyway I'm glad I've had a very productive day because I've had a run of late nights uh, since I was last with you and uh, this morning I was woken up very early by my newish neighbor and their music and uh, I just got up I'm not going to get wound up buy it they're young they've probably moved here from a house no real appreciation or understanding of how noise travels in a building full of converted flats but i'm certainly feeling the earlier than usual early rise and we'll have to uh, resist and that later the run of late nights was actually triggered by a late night phone call on friday night after trial you want ended i'd had a voicemail and it was a friend I often avoid on the phone because they're always stoned and will keep me on the phone for a couple of hours and I've said before I'm not not a big phone user I don't really like talking on the phone for a long time you know I I don't think that's a great use of anyone's time and when I called them back and I thought well I ought to because in their voicemail they were sarcastic and they said oh what a surprise you're not picking up I Actually, I don't think it was a missed call. It was a voicemail that I had because I was on the phone to my aunt after a Friday night's trial you want. Anyway, I called this guy back and uh, I knew it was going to be a long call. They're always stoned when they're on the phone. 
and this occasion was no different. And he's one of these conspiracy theorists as well. And it was no surprise to hear that he won't wear a mask anywhere, doesn't wear it in supermarkets or on public transport. He he made that clear. He never votes. We always have this argument. He he thinks I'm foolish. Me and the space daddy are foolish uh, for voting. He isn't having the vaccine again. No surprises there. Everything to him is a conspiracy. And I have a few of these friends, okay? And the one common thread linking them all is that they all smoke weed. And I don't think the two things are unconnected. Anyway, I couldn't get him off the phone. And uh, he was also talking about being a dad and how transformative that's been. I mean, his kid is in their teens now. But you know, I'm I'm glad I don't have too many friends who talk to me in that way about how being a parent is so incredible because obviously I don't have kids. And I'm also thankful that it's not that big a deal for me. I think I would have been okay if I'd had a kid and equally I'm okay without having a kid. If if this all ends with me, I'm absolutely fine with that. But, you know, I, I can I I can appreciate that people who don't have kids get tired of hearing people who do have kids talking about how great it is to have kids and he was also telling me how he's been getting closer to god during the pandemic and i you know personally i was thinking that might be the weeds doing and realizing that we were going to be on the phone for a quite a while i made myself a decaf coffee three weeks on that stuff now and yeah we got chatting it was good to speak to him just if if I spoke to him more regularly, I suppose the conversations wouldn't be so long. So maybe there's an idea for me going forward. My living situation now is seriously precarious. So in that respect, it was good to have someone to speak to. And, you know, right now I'm a little worried about the housing situation on top of everything else I'm having to deal with right now. And, you know, I know that the stress I've had over the last, uh, yeah, particularly since the summer. That's what I was going to say to you. That that's I've remembered now what I was going to say because it is connected to this. So the stress since last summer, but which really, really kicked in and went up several levels once I started having to deal with the builders and I was resisting all the work with the windows. But last week there were a bunch of emails being circulated by uh, my neighbours and I was included in those and everyone was saying that they're having issues with the windows, bits are coming off, etc. And I thought, I don't really want to be checking because I'm sure there's stuff wrong with these windows and I just don't need that extra hassle now and I don't need more builders coming here. But I was troubled by how drafty the windows are. You know, just having my shower after after my run today, and it's the middle of the day. It's got a bit warmer than it was this morning. And yet I'm in the shower and it's so cold in there. You know, there are two bathroom windows in there now rather than one. I remember all the times I've had ensuite bathrooms and you've got the extractor fan and it's so loud and you always wish that you had a window in the bathroom. I'm not so sure now, having had a window for the last few years, unless you've got a really warm bathroom, I don't think a window is a great idea, particularly if it's right by the shower as as is the situation here in this flat and it reminds me of being back at the family bedsit and having a really crap window there and you know you'd be in the bath and you'd be freezing i'd become really preoccupied looking at the blinds flapping 
every time you know there was a there was a breeze outside i was thinking what's going on this didn't happen before this didn't happen when i had the old windows with their rotting their rotting frames why is this happening with new windows and i've been reading more and more of these emails that were being circulated people uh, neighbors talking about the seals coming off their new windows uh, and that's the minimum that's been happening to some of these poor people and I thought, well, I'll take a little look. I'm going to have to. And I just checked one of the windows, the main window here in the front room. I've got a little stepladder, no, literally a little stepladder, just a couple of steps. And I pulled back the blind and I saw that the window was down. And I thought at the top, it's a sash window and I could see a gap. And I thought, maybe that's just me that I never closed this window properly a couple of months back. And that's why I've been getting the draft. And I took a, a look at the top of the gap and I saw that the seal had come off and, and that's why I'm getting the draft. So I took a picture and I fired off an email and of course I haven't heard back and I'm unlikely to hear back. I've still got a missing key for one of the windows. I don't know what it is about builders. I don't know what it is why they're mavericks. I don't know why it's such a difficulty getting a missing key when I was told I'd get it two months ago and then three weeks ago I was told that uh, it would be left outside my door and we've still got scaffolding at the back of the flat and it's just it's draining and and you know that's where the stress started to come from or, or build I think really uh, from last summer knowing what was coming and it wasn't necessarily worse than I thought it would be it was as bad as I thought it would be because I knew it was going to be bad back to this conversation on Friday night and uh, knowing now that uh, my situation, my living situation is in the balance. And I was speaking to this friend and we've known each other for over 20 years. He's a good friend. We played a lot of football together. Uh, he's a trained lawyer, once gave me legal advice ahead of a small claims court hearing that I had and alarm bells were ringing when on my way to his to get this advice, he asked me to get him some Rizzler. And uh, off the back of his weed-infused legal advice, Advice back in 2009, I got battered in the hearing, and that taught me a lesson. If you need a lawyer, get one uh, whose uh, urine sample has tested clean. He is a good friend, though, so it's you know I find it easy to talk to him. He knows my situation, and he said to me, "If you do get thrown out, you can come and stay with me." Now that is nice, but also I have to keep in mind I don't really ever want to live with friends again because. It does alter the hierarchy of those friendships. It affects your confidence because you think, well, how can these people, how are their lives so stable? How are they able to keep a roof over their head? And I found that so difficult. What's wrong with me? And living with friends, it does alter the hierarchy, I think, of friendships. And it's cost me friends in the last 10 years. I think that's my doing, but it, it it's my doing because I always sought to distance myself afterwards because otherwise I just felt I'd be in their debt forever and I needed to, you know, find my own way in life again, try and get back to where I was, which obviously, as you know, if you've been listening to this show for some time, I never have, but it's not for a, a lack of trying. While I appreciated the gesture, you know, the offer that he made of me being able to go and live with him, it does go to what I learned uh, years ago, which is uh, which is that it's those, I think, who have nothing that give you everything. But at the same time, though it was a great gesture, how could I, who am getting my vaccine on Friday now, live with a guy that's refusing the vaccine? That just doesn't work. And also meetups, you know, I think my foot might be strong enough to 
to you know to be able to maybe try playing football at some point with my old football friends uh, of which this guy's a part of but how am I going to meet those guys if I'm vaccinated and I know that a bunch of them won't be vaccinated because they're like this guy you know they they just see a conspiracy in everything I don't know how that works because it would be nice to be able to see everyone again. And I'm sure you're the same, particularly if you've been isolated and alone. I know that the reason I was able to get through this uh, this lockdown was because I'd been living my life in the wrong way for many years. I'd isolated myself. So all I really had to worry about was the pandemic and the isolation I could deal with until I realized, well, I can't really. I can't really deal with it anymore. You know, this isn't really living. I need to have a bit of fun in my life. I need to get back and reestablish contact with friends. But it made me realize this. Well, how are we going to function in the future? Because if someone hasn't got the vaccine and you've got the vaccine, and in my case, getting the vaccine means I'll be able to reestablish my bubble with my aunt and uncle. I'm not going to be going and seeing friends who refuse the vaccine and then going to see my aunt and uncle. You know, I just won't risk that. So it's a difficult one. And I think we're all going to have the odd friend or two or family member like that who will not get the vaccine and it might complicate our social circles in the future. Meantime, the space daddy, he got his vaccine last week, two roads away from where he lives, and yet he turned up very late, which isn't surprising because that is the space daddy. And I said to him when he told me this, you know, one, it's unacceptable. And two, as much as I really wish that we could go back to that era where we didn't have mobile phones and the pace of life was slower, I do remember that for the first 10, 12 years of our friendship, that guy would rarely turn up anywhere on time and not having a mobile. There were times where I'd just have to find a phone box and call him to find out where he was. And he's not changed in that respect. He's still... Let that motorbike go past. He's still so unpunctual. And he's probably the one guy in my life where I think, no, this is why we have mobile phones. This is why mobiles are good, because at least with a mobile phone for the last 20 years, when he's been running late, which has been 99% of the time for the last 20 years as well, at least I get those texts where he says ETA, 14, 30 hours, and then there'll be another one 20 minutes later. ETA, 15, 15 hours. At least we have that now because for 10, 12 years we didn't have that. Had my run already uh, today, went uh, just before midday, a dreadful run. And dreadful in terms of how I'm feeling. Obviously, the virus has, has just drained me, I think. Although I had it, I had mild symptoms. I do think I'm feeling it when I'm out in the park. Last week after uh, my isolation ended on Thursday, I was out. And at the start of it, I was thinking, I'm okay. I'm okay. And it was, I'm not okay. And then it was, I'm okay. And then, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Oh, my God, this hurts. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. The following day, I was out there again because, as anticipated, I'd not been able to run too much on the Thursday, and, you know, I, I could feel that I'd put a bit of weight on and I didn't want that, so I went out there again on Friday, and that was an even bigger mistake because not only was I drained from the virus, but I was actually knackered from the day before. You know, it had been almost three weeks since I'd been out running, and I'm certainly feeling it. And I was out there again today, 
the legs were again feeling slightly hollow and that uphill bit at the start of my run usually I don't think there's anyone that goes up that slower than me at the moment but once I got past that uphill section I felt okay so there's a there's a chunk once I'm past that uphill section where I feel really good but then for much of the rest of the uh, the route I'm struggling right now my problem is though now that I know that park so well that I can't kid my body when I'm running I know how difficult each stretch is going to be and I know when it's going to be easy so I know when I get past that uphill stretch I know that that is tends to be when I'm at my strongest on that route so there's no part now of that route that surprises me and that's a bit of a problem in terms of finding the discipline and the focus to try and shut down the the discomfort the, the you know shut it down mentally so I can push on through right now none of that is an issue the issue is that I think I need to appreciate that it's going to be weeks before I can even consider stepping up to what I was doing well what I was doing I mean I've been I've been doing this now for 20 months but what I've been doing this year and Keeping in mind that before the virus anyway, my running hadn't been good for some weeks anyway. I had been struggling. I think part of that was the cold and the conditions out there, the mud. And uh, by the way, I finally cleaned my trainers in the, in the shower and then I um, I blow dried them and I stuck some balls of paper in there and, you know, they were dry. And it was good to see the trainers again because they, they'd been caked in mud for months. But it was still a bit muddy out there today. Not Not too much, but... I've just, uh, I, I think today, and, and today was colder, and the long johns were back out today. I struggled again today. It was, so I'd got past the uphill stretch, and I thought, yeah, I'm doing well now. I, I feel okay now. But then, far sooner than normally happens, I wasn't feeling well. And it was just clearly, my body right now can't really... It can't nail down these runs. And I think really for the foreseeable, for the next maybe two, three weeks, I shouldn't think that I'm going to be able to do more than I've done on these first uh, three runs back. And uh, as long as I'm getting out there and uh, trying and just keeping that fitness uh, just about on, on track, I think that's going to be enough for now. Daniel Ruiz Tyson is available. Episode 312. Sweating the small stuff and some big stuff too. Rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at 1607westegfacebook.com forward slash DRT available. All the shows are available at danielruiztyson.com and there are PayPal and Coffee.com links on the website, danielruiztyson.com. If you want to make a, a one-off donation to the show and have some bonus content winged your way, then you can do so by clicking on those links on the website. Most importantly, though, the best way, the easiest way to support this work is via the Patreon page. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash DRT available and help to keep this indie show Go in a couple of Howard Hughes shout outs uh, to the overfed and deeper stuff this week. Uh, thank you uh, for your messages and support. Alarming call for me on Saturday, he said, moving on with episode 312. This was a Saturday afternoon. There'd been a fire in my aunt and uncle's Stockwell block, the first such incident in their 28 years there. The 
fire was on the uh, the 15th floor, I think I've got that right. And it's a bit of a problem because it's an elderly couple and their one's on a... Uh, he pushes himself about with one of those walkers and the wife isn't in great condition either and you think well how can these poor people two elderly people live now on uh, you know on on the 15th floor it's just it's not doable there need to be some alternative found for them and i would imagine their neighbors uh, right now are understandably nervy about living in such proximity to these two so the fire was on the 15th floor my aunt and uncle lived just a couple of floors down so it was a real worry everyone was evacuated by the stairs Obviously, my aunt and uncle are both in their 80s. Neither are doing great right now. It took them half an hour to get out of the building. My aunt was having a go at my uncle as she wanted him in front of her as they made their way down those stairs in case she fell. She reckoned, though, that he was behind her, perhaps looking to capitalise on the situation and push her down these stone steps. My uncle, meantime, uh, countered that he was standing behind her all the way down to literally put himself in the line of fire. And uh, my aunt actually, uh, today, just today, she told me that when their neighbor had alerted them to the fire, uh, the neighbor from upstairs had come down and banged on their door frantically. My uncle had first disappeared upstairs for a bit, and it turned out, my aunt later found out, that he was grabbing their passports. I don't want to tempt fate myself. I think in that situation, though, I'd make for my Star Wars figures and all the hand gel I could get and save those. But it's a bit like, uh, you know, my old neighbor here living on a top floor when she couldn't even get about. It's uh, it's a concern for me because I'm a guy that likes, as you know, living on top floors. What am I going to do if I make it to that age? It's going to be very difficult, and uh, I think I would find ground floor living very strange. I've had some really strange pandemic dreams since I was last with you, more of them. Featuring masks and social distancing, well, inadequate social distancing, but, you know, any social distancing in dreams, I suppose, is, uh, you know, it's, it, you can't complain too much. It's just a dream. But I dreamt of the cafe again, which uh, was especially poignant for me. I had dead people as well all queuing up to make cameos in these dreams. I dreamt of both my parents and Lopez was with me in the cafe as he often was in real life. And it made sense in the dream. Things always make sense in a dream, don't they? But they make no sense outside of the dream. So what I'm going to say to you right now makes no sense. But in the dream, it made complete sense. And in this dream, some guy had charged me with delivering a latte to him up in Scotland, a latte from the cafe. And I was at the bar trying to figure out how this was going to be done. And the cafe's brilliant and much-missed late owner and her husband, who, as far as I know, is still around. They were both laughing as I told them of my peculiar task. Maybe there was nothing to read into that dream. I don't know. Maybe there was. Um, I can feel my throat going now. I'm a bit croakier than usual at the moment. And that's uh, something I've noticed post-isolation is that my throat hasn't quite got back to where it um where it was where it should be and also i noticed that i was coughing more than i was when i was actually isolating which is a bit odd another dream i had involved those eight inch mego superhero action figures i had um in the days when i'd only just started school i had batman i had superman i had robin and uh i had a doctor who eight inch figure uh tom baker although that wasn't mego but I do remember, and, I, and I'm equating him with the action figures, because I actually stripped Tom Baker and I painted him green. 
because I had the Hulk action figure, but he was just too big, way too big, much bigger than the other action figures, and it just didn't work for me involving him in the same games that I was playing. So uh, I painted Tom Baker as the Hulk, so I had a Hulk with uh, curly hair. Moving on, breakfast news, a staggering seven-day run since I was last with you for toast. A race through that loaf that my sister had ordered for me when I was isolating. Good butter coverage, too. Very pleased uh, with that. I can't see when crackers are going to get a breakfast looking at the minute. I really can't. Uh, Quickly, actually, before I forget, the word liaison. It's been a real strength of mine, specifically since 96, when I realized that a word that trips up a lot of people is a word that I nailed down. I, I, I... I was able to always remember there were two eyes in liaison. And I remembered this because I'd had so many jobs, even by 96, and I was often having to set the same computer tests. And in the spelling test, there'd always be a test on how to spell liaison. And in the early days, I would always get it wrong. And then once I nailed that down, I thought, you know, I'm not even in my mid-20s right now. But I think I'm going to live a good life because knowing how to spell liaison will make life easier. And it certainly did in terms of it helped me maintain good spelling test results and I would be a shoe in for jobs. And it was only after, you know, getting those jobs that the problems really started. But getting the jobs was was a bit easier because I knew how to spell liaison. And, And basically... I'm I'm mentioning this because I came across a Word document on my PC yesterday in which liaison, and I can't remember why I'd use liaison in there, but liaison was spelled incorrectly without the second I, and, you know, that was really unusual for me, and I was thinking this shouldn't have happened post-96. Quite a lot of reading done in the last week. I was feeling tired going into last week. I hadn't rested really in the first week of quarantine and the football show is so punishing. And even last week it was uh, punishing, but it, rather than working on it for three days, I dragged that work out across four days and I made sure that I got enough rest in on each day last week. So I've managed to get a bit of reading done, well, quite a lot of reading done. More pastiche homes, brilliant stuff. Two novellas by David Stuart Davis, one of my favorite uh, pastiche homes writers. And uh, I got a two-in-one deal, two two novellas in the form of one book um, by David Stuart Davis, both Sherlock Holmes pastiches. The first one, The Shadow of the Rat, the blurb, a body is found floating in the river, a body that has been deliberately inflected. Fleck, what is going on with me? I don't want to do any editing today. I'm going to leave that in there and I'll start again. A body is found floating in the river, a body that has been deliberately infected with a plague virus. Holmes and Watson find themselves seeking answers at the Bridge of Dreams, a club where a person's darkest wish can be granted for a price. Holmes falls under the control of a will stronger than his own, which threatens the life of his closest friend, Watson, and leaves the government, indeed itself, open to a deadly terror, the monstrous giant rat of Sumatra. A better one for me was the other book, and that uh, that was called The Tangled Skein. And it's set in the autumn of 88, following the successful conclusion of The Hound of the Baskervilles. And uh, Sherlock Holmes is faced with an even darker mystery after that, a strange package, an attempt on Holmes's life, murders on Hampstead Heath, and a strange phantom lady leads... Holmes and Watson to return to Devon and the bleak terrain of Dartmoor where they encounter the true embodiment of evil, the Count, 
whose name I cannot utter, you know who I'm talking about, Bram Stoker Scout, the Lord of the Undead, and I really did enjoy that. I think I've read three or four Sherlock Holmes verses, they count now, and they're all, yeah, one of them wasn't great, but uh, I do enjoy them. I just love uh, the 1880s and 1890s. I love stuff like that. Now back on the Anthony Trollope, I've got so many library books, really. I just need the pandemic, really, to go on for longer. Otherwise, I'm looking at loads of library finds. And it's been one of the pluses of the pandemic era, is you can hang on to your library books as long as you want, really. And I don't think I'll ever forget the book that I returned to Lambeth Library when I, uh, unbeknown to me, was infected. Um yeah, that book is seared into my memory. I dropped it through in a ladder box. I know that they quarantined their books for three days, and I really do hope that they quarantined that book for three days. It probably did need to be quarantined. So back on the Anthony Trollope, I'm on the fourth of the Pallison uh, novels. They're you know, real weighty books between six to 800 pages. Trollope follows Phineas Finn's return to the dangerous world of Westminster politics. When his political rival is murdered, Phineas is thrown under suspicion and eventually finds himself stand in trial at the Old Bailey. The situation is complicated by the presence of two women in his life. His old flame, Lady Laura, whose estranged husband is determined to destroy Phineas's reputation, and the uh, wealthy and enigmatic widow, Madame Max. And uh, I'm enjoying that. I really am. Just forgotten what I was going to say to you. Oh, now I remember. I was talking on uh, an episode of Trial You Want a couple of weeks ago about a book uh, the book was called James, Brother of Jesus, and it was when I was really into my theology in the noughties, and I was living with this girl who didn't really read much, and um, she, I had all my books on my bookshelf, and I've told this before, she stuck a Shane Ritchie autobiography on the bookshelf, and I just thought, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? How did I end up in this? But anyway, she saw that book, and she told a friend of hers about it and uh, said, you know, do you mind if they uh, borrow it? And I wasn't really happy at all because I knew her friend. And I thought, this, you know, there's no way this person is going to read what is a 1,200-page book. Not a chance. They won't even get 200 pages into this. I never got the book back. And it's been bothering me. It's been bothering me more since I was talking about it on that show a couple of weeks ago. So I found a cheap copy on eBay. There have been a couple of updated editions, abridged versions. I want the original version, the 1,200 pages, and I've got a cheap copy, and that's coming now. And I just, it's not necessarily that I want to read it, although I'm sure I'll reread it because it's been years since I've read it. It's almost 20 years since I bought it. But my bookshelf has always felt, or my bookshelves have always felt incomplete with that book never uh, being returned. Let's give you a Nectar Points update. He said they're on a hard swallow. So this was my first post-virus shop, and I probably spent too much, really, both in Sainsbury's and Little, but I was just uh, really conscious now that I need to be better stocked. I uh, need better supplies, need those cupboards full in case this happens again. Uh, opening balance, I can't see. Oh, you know what's happened here? I don't have the bottom of the receipt, obviously, when I pulled it out. I don't have it. So what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to log into my Nectar account. So I'm going to pause this show just for a minute. 
Okay, took me a while to log in. Never remember passwords. I've got LastPass on this PC as well, and uh, it's still not quite helping me out in the way it should be helping me out. So I'm in the Nectar account now. I can tell you what I bought last week. Uh, crackers, some uh, skimmed milk, four pints, 109. Good expiry date on that, I think, 8th or 9th of March. Washing up liquid, a couple of yogurts, scourers. Uh, long life semi skimmed, uh, some more decaf coffee, some uh, beans, uh, some sweet chili sauce, four oranges, uh, some pasta sauce, mixed beans, chili, a tin, uh, some antibacterial surface wipes, and a couple of baking potatoes. Uh, spent twenty one sixty two. So I think that looks like it's too much. This is points added, 26th of February, though, which is when I bought these, 21 points. So I've ended up with, I, I don't, actually, let me see if I can give you my balance. What it was before that, no, it's only given me the latest balance. Basically, I've got 144 points right now, which are worth at least 72 pence. And that's included seven eBay points, seven Nectar points accrued via ebay and i think i got five earlier this month as well been um every time i'm feeling low i can see ebay activity on there which is again it's just why well, i can't do drugs you know no discipline with certain things all right let's come out of that so that's 144 nectar points uh before i go uh, this week's uh, Star Wars football results have been making a real effort to catch up on the games. And I've got a game as well coming up after this. A uh, couple of league games that might be completed today. Right, so since I was last with you, Champions League Group D. And this is the reformatted Star Wars football Champions League, which is you know, coming for a fair bit of stick. It's been a real slow burner because there are 12 teams, which has made it very awkward. So in terms of how I structure the group stages, there are four groups of three teams. So one defeat can really leave you in trouble. It also means that with two defeats from four games, we've had a team going through. One such team, Cantonica, thrashed Death Star 4-0. Death Star, the league leaders in the domestic Star Wars Football League, goalless at half time. But as was pointed out during the commentary on Saturday, uh, sorry, uh, last week, last Monday evening, uh, no team collapses like Death Star if uh, the game is not going their way. So that left them bottom bottom of the group even uh, with a minus two goal difference, hard swallow again. And uh, Mos Eisley were in second place. Cantonica had gone through on six points and all they needed to wait for was to find out whether they were qualifying as group winners or group runners-up. But they were rank outsiders, so I don't think they'll be too concerned how they qualified. Uh, They'd won both their home games. The away matches are their problems, but they've gone through. Uh, Dagobah, meantime, lost 3-0 at home to Mandalay. So Mandalay were on seven points. Uh, X-Wing were on six. Both had qualified. Dagobah were bottom with one point. They'd played their four games and it meant that Mandalay and X-Wing would be playing what was effectively a shootout to see who qualified as group winners. That was on Friday evening. I'll bring that to you uh, shortly. Uh, there was an FA Cup last 16 replay. That was on the 24th of February. When was that? Was that Tuesday or Wednesday? That getting confused with my dates here. February always throws me. That was Wednesday, so and that was Ord Montel three, Nat Hooth nil. So Ord Montel go through and I'll give you the full FA Cup draw now. I gave it to you I think last week, but it wasn't complete. Actually, I don't know where it is now. I'll find it. Where is it? 
FA Cup draw. No. Okay, I'm sure it'll be here in a moment. Okay, Champions League Group B on the 25th of February. EOS Prime had the audacity to take the lead against Tatooine. But Tatooine came back and beat them 6-1. The reigning European champions, reigning World Club champions, reigning Super Cup champions, reigning FA Cup holders, and what else? Uh, reigning league champions, they're going to be a hard team to stop. And uh, the Group B final table had Tatooine, they'd, the only team to qualify with a 100% record, 12 points from four games, a goal difference of plus 15, EOS Prime way back on six points, minus seven. So there you can see the floor in the competition, a team with a goal difference of minus seven qualifying for the quarterfinals. Yavin 4 finished bottom with no points. Group C on Friday night, Mandalay 1X-Wing, 1X-Wing were leading at halftime, 1-0. They end up finishing second. So Mandalay topped the group by eight points, X-Wing second on seven, Dagobah. Uh, third with one point. Group A, bit of a shock this really, the two heavy hitters in Group A. I mean, this could have been, uh, if, you, if this was the final, you wouldn't be surprised because these uh, two teams are formidable. And uh, Endor won, Alderaan 2, Endor again switching off after qualifying. They've got uh, history when it comes to that. Alderaan, the only team to have never lost against Endor, well, neither of Tatooine or Empire actually, so that doesn't work. But uh, Alderaan have played Endor four times in the last three seasons and never lost. Uh, Endor uh, had equalised uh, through Endor Leia, the local girl, but uh, a penalty just four minutes from time from sub-medical droid within a minute of coming on gave Alderaan uh, the victory. And so they go through as group winners on 10 points when uh, Endor in second place on seven points. Uh, Skaku Minor finish bottom with no points minus 10 so again uh, you can see the failings of that competition in the group stages whereas in the quarterfinals you know the fact that there are an extra there's an extra round knockout round this season will make it more interesting but to get to that point there's this very questionable reformatted group stage meantime group c saturday night champions league that star had to win against mos eisley uh, to go through and uh, they just about managed it. So from being on the brink of being knocked out, they actually qualified as group winners, a hat-trick from C3PO, and they won by three goals to two. A very unconvincing performance, but they go through as group winners. Cantonica in second place, and the draw for the Champions League quarterfinals took place that evening, and the draw is Endor versus Mandalay. That's uh, that's quite a big tie. Both of those sides will fancy their chances of all would have fancied their chances of winning the European Cup uh, this season, the Champions League even. Death Star in an all-domestic clash with X-Wing. EOS Prime take on Alderaan, Tatooine take on Cantonica. You know, just looking at that, could have as many as three domestic teams in the semi-finals uh, this season. Again, trying to find the FA Cup draw for you. It was made last week. I gave it to you, but that was before... The replay. So, I just want to see if I can give you the finalised FA Cup quarter-final draw. Here it is: Hosnian Prime will face Holders Tatooine. Ord Montel after beating uh, Nat Huth in their replay uh, tie. They face Lirasan in an all-second division tie. You got X-wing at home to Rebels. Empire at home to Hoth in what is a derby. League Week Nine: Empire two, Besbin two on Saturday night. Besbin were two goals up. With just five minutes left, Empire, an undeserved point. Besbin again conceding 
uh, a late goal again, conceding, uh, conceding a brace of goals. That leaves them in third place and Empire State in second place. Uh, Death Star at the top of the table face Tatooine uh, tomorrow night, probably. Uh, I don't think it'll be tonight. There's another game tonight. And uh, Tatooine also, they are now in fifth place because Hoth beat X-Wing 1-0 yesterday in a tight game and Hoth now move into uh, fourth place on 12 points. A goal from the returning prune face in the first half gave them a win over an X-Wing side that really looked weary after their Champions League uh, endeavours on Friday night. And that is it. That is the end of today's show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Get those shoulders back. Keep on walking towards the sun. Keep washing those hands. Keep ventilating your flats too. I'm Daniel Ruiz-Tyson and this start of the week I have been available. <laughs> <laughs>